Keep it local, Cheyenne. Stop in today for the best selection or visit TerraHonda.com. I'm Tiffany. I have some tips for you on how to quit smoking like I did. First, I did some reading about it. I found a lot of great advice on how to quit smoking and picked out the ways I thought would work best for me. I started by setting a quit date. Then I threw out my ashtrays, lighters, and matches. I did other things too, like exercising more, and it worked. But I'd still get cravings, especially on long car rides. To help me with that, I put a picture of my mother in my car. She died of lung cancer from smoking cigarettes when I was only 16. Now I have a 16-year-old daughter. That picture of my mother reminds me that I don't want to miss all the things my daughter is going to do in her life, including turning 17. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. Check out my new time machine. Does it work? Hit the button. Hey, it's Napoleon. Oui. Check out the future. Hey, you have a nice house. Why don't I? You didn't save any money, buddy. If only there was a way I could go back in time and fix that. Yeah. Save something for the future. Put away a few bucks. Feel like a million bucks. For free ways to save, go to feedthepig.org. That's feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants and the Ad Council. And we're back on Cargab for about another minute and 15 seconds before the news takes over. Yes, we're at the end of the show today. Don, thank you so much for coming on today. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, oh, thank you, Nick. Um, again, thank you to the whole board for what you guys do. If there's ever anything that you want chatted about, let me know. I mean, if you can't make it down, we can do it over the phone. Oh, sure. Um, I'd love to support any projects that you do in the history of the history of Shane. Thank you for the, the description of the fountain for those folks who aren't here <laughs> and have never seen it. Um, it's, it's, it's really been fun to learn about it. Um, and tonight, cruise night starting, well, whenever you want to start, 5.30, 6 o'clock till whenever. Please come down, throw a few dollars in the bucket to the Cheyenne Preservation Board and come and uh, take a look at the fountain. Should be a great evening. Everybody take care, be careful. And we'll be back to speak to you on Cargab next week. Bye-bye. infrastructure proposal overcomes a key procedural hurdle in the Senate. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News. And Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer says they'll take as long as they have to to get it passed. 
we can get this done the easy way or the hard way. It's in either case, the Senate will stay in session until we finish our work. The Senate's Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, appears poised for a long process. He believes opponents to the bill deserve to be heard. This isn't exactly the bill I would have written on my own in my office, and 99 of my colleagues would say the very same thing. Despite several speed bumps, the legislation is on track to pass. Lots of fact-finding is on the agenda in upstate New York as the Albany County Sheriff's Department investigates a criminal complaint filed by a former aide against Governor Andrew Cuomo. The sheriff says the investigation is in its infancy and will not be rushed. Earlier this week, a report outlined nearly a dozen allegations of sexual harassment against the governor. Across the country, new COVID-19 cases are rising, and one of the states leading the way is Texas, where officials say infected migrants continue to cross the border. Many are being held in Donna, Texas. Border Patrol source telling Fox News that as of Thursday, there were 5,300 people inside with between 40 and 60 migrants in each pod. That is well above the COVID-19 recommended restriction of just 10 per pod. Fox's Bill Malusian. COVID-19 booster shots haven't been approved in the U.S., but that hasn't stopped people from getting them. One woman with asthma and a liver condition tells the AP she got a third dose simply by telling a clinic that it was her first shot. It's believed hundreds of people have received a third shot. America's listening to Fox News. It's Brett Larson inviting you to download and listen to the new daily Fox on Tech podcast. There's part of a colorful late 90s iMac on Mars. It's an idea that seems a lot like Kickstarter called Build It. This isn't the first time we've heard about North Korea hackers trying to get a leg up on COVID-19, a range that was used for satellite TV service in the 70s. Get the latest trends in technology, cybersecurity alerts, and gadget news daily. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Connect to Fox News Audio on the Fox News app. Listen to hear your favorite hosts like Brian Kilmeade, Jimmy Fallon, and Guy Benson standing up for what's right live and via podcast. Just click listen, then swipe right and hear the latest news updates on your time. And scroll down to hear the latest podcasts from Fox News. And it's even easier to listen in the car with Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. Get programming alerts and notifications. Fox News Audio is on the Fox News app. The Voices America Trusts. Download it now. For a fourth straight weekend, protesters are out in Paris and other French cities. They're opposed to a rule compelling healthcare workers to get vaccinated against COVID-19. They're also against a health pass that would allow access to restaurants, cultural sites, and even hospitals for non-emergencies. There's pushback from police officers in San Francisco who don't want to be vaccinated against COVID-19. We'll quit. That's what many in the sheriff's department in San Francisco are threatening to do if forced to get the COVID-19 vaccine. In a statement on its Facebook page, the union representing the sheriff's deputy said that about 160 of the 600 sheriff employees are saying they won't roll up their sleeves due to religious or other beliefs. They said they'd rather wear masks. A mandate issued by the city last month says that all city employees who work in jails or other high-risk settings are required to be vaccinated or risk losing their jobs. City officials are announcing the union's position, especially in the wake of the Delta variant of the coronavirus, which has forced a return to indoor mask mandates. Karen McHugh, Fox News. History made at the Summer Games in Tokyo. There's a new record holder for the most decorated American track and field Olympian. 
Allison Felix won her 11th medal on Saturday, winning gold as part of the victorious U.S. 4x400 relay team. That breaks a tie with Carl Lewis. Seven of Felix's career medals are gold, and she is the most decorated woman in Olympic track history. Long-distance runner Pavo Nurmi of Finland holds the overall record with the 12 he won in the 1920s. Elsewhere during the games on Saturday, the U.S. men's basketball team won gold by beating France. The women's water polo team beat Spain for gold. And the U.S. baseball team won silver after losing 2 to nothing to host Japan in the gold medal game. Fox's Kevin Yaretsky. The games close tomorrow. I'm Pam Fuso, Fox News. Well, the forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. Doing business without the hassle, all roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. Good-looking weather conditions this Saturday. Temperatures comfortable near 80. Nighttime lows going to be in the low to mid-50s. It'll be dry with hazy, smoky skies and light to breezy northwest winds. Heating up Sunday back to near 90. Likewise, Monday looking to remain dry to mostly dry. It's a slight chance of an isolated storm. Lows upper 50s. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. I'm a veteran. My victory was admitting I had PTSD and getting help. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I no longer see it as a weakness, but as a sign of strength. I call it post-traumatic growth. DAV provides a lifetime of support, helping veterans of every generation get the benefits they've earned. I am a veteran. I lost both legs in Vietnam. Every year, DAV helps more than a million veterans so they can reach victories great and small. My victory was getting my benefits and a good education. I'm a veteran. When I got out, I felt like nowhere was safe. My victory was finding the help I needed. But there's more to be done and more victories to be won. Thanks to DAV, now I feel like I'm human again. Help support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I expect it to be a lot easier. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I didn't know what step to take next. I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I was an MP, military police. My friends thought I could do anything. I missed my unit, my family. Playing with my daughter, I 
I felt like a stranger. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't have a clear sense of what to do next. I was too proud. And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, too right? It started to open up. And it made a huge difference. So I reached out and I saw that I wasn't alone. Because before I was able to take on my next mission, I had to take on just taking care of myself. To find purpose. purpose. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. It was a goal that I wanted to achieve from the very beginning. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. I wasn't sure if I could do it. It was very hard for me, but the teachers, the counselors, they help you. One of the teachers was Miss Araceli. Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. Every single time I had a question, she'll put down whatever she's doing and she'll come over and she'll sit there with you until you get it. At age 47, with the help of his teacher, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. Getting your high school diploma, it is a life-changing experience. It really is. It catapults you to where you want to go. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. East Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the uh, Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Dr. Thomas Peter Martin of the University of Wyoming. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you well, thanks. Okay, now, Dr. Martin, uh, get, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Okay, well, um, I grew up in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, from there I got my undergraduate degree in material science and engineering from um, University of Washington in uh, Seattle, and after that I went and uh, got a PhD in um, material science and engineering from the University of Florida, um, which is a top 10 uh, ranked engineering school. Um, so my background isn't specifically in nuclear physics, but it is in um, materials and materials design and things like that, which um, obviously are critical uh, going into a reactor, uh, no pun intended. Um, you know, most reactor accidents happen um, due to materials failures. And so, um, you know, after that, I uh, uh, came back and uh, was looking for a job. Uh, my background was in the semiconductor industry mainly, um, but I noticed that the University of Wyoming needed something to run their transmission electron microscope, and I uh, had a lot of experience with that. So I took that job, and um, I really enjoyed it out here in Wyoming. Um, I love the uh, climate, I love the um, kind of culture and the people. Um, it's only a 12-hour, well, nine-hour drive from uh, home, and, uh, um, you know, I actually enjoy teaching a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I teach class several times a year on the electron microscope. Uh, in fact, I'm just finishing up one uh, next week, so um, that's kind of 
Now, Dr. Martin, the reason I invited you on the show was that uh, you sent us a letter saying you have grave concerns, uh, and that's the word you, fra- uh, you the uh, phrase you used, grave concerns about the proposed Wyoming nuclear reactor. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it is. Um, and um, the primary concern I have is, um, well, there's, there's two concerns I have. Um, one is that um, because this is um, being sponsored, um, you know, in, uh, by the private sector, um, I want to um, make sure that the design is thoroughly vetted by somebody who has no ties to um, the people sponsoring it or their money. Um, so basically a third party needs to review the design in detail. Um, I looked very closely online uh, for everything I could find about this reactor and it was all quite um, it was all quite vague. It gave a few details that I was able to glean, but none of the um, you know, more intricate design details that I might be able to say, you know, this is a safe design or this is a not safe design. So I think there needs to be an independent audit of it um, before it's approved. That's one thing that concerns me. The second thing that concerns me is that this is a liquid sodium cooled reactor. So most, um, also uh, a little bit of background is that um, basically every nuclear reactor has what's known as a primary coolant loop and a secondary coolant loop. And so the primary loop is what runs through the reactor core and absorbs the heat from the um, fission and the decay product and they're generated in the core. And that superheated fluid then goes through a heat exchanger where the heat is transferred to its secondary loop uh, where steam is produced and that then drives a turbine and generates electricity. Now, in their primary loop, um, most um, commercial reactors uh, use water, um, which has several advantages and several downsides. Um, but this particular reactor is using sodium, uh, which also has several advantages and downsides. Um, the biggest downside is that, well, there's two downsides. One is that sodium is a very strong neutron absorber. It becomes highly radioactive when it passes through, say, the core of a nuclear reactor where there's neutrons present. Um, and the second, of course, is that um, sodium is a very reactive metal. I'm sure many people have seen demonstrations where a piece of solid sodium is um, thrown in water and it burns very violently. Um, and so, of course, liquid sodium that's been superheated, if it's exposed to air, it will also burn violently. Um, so any leak in their primary coolant system will create an intensely radioactive fire. So that's a big concern then by itself. Yes. So they have to be very careful in how they design their primary coolant loop to ensure that there's absolutely uh, no possibility of leaks. And they're going to have to have some kind of inspection schedule to make sure um, that the materials they build their primary coolant loop um, piping out of uh, don't degrade over time because neutrons um, 
do tend to degrade most uh, metal alloys over time. Um, Dr. Martin, if sodium is such a concern, why not just use water for this reactor? Uh, well, so um, what they're building is something called a fast reactor. So um, water is typically used in um, what are known as uh, moderated reactors. So um, when a neutron comes from an atom after it's been fissioned, it has a lot of kinetic energy. And um, when you have water in the reactor core, that acts to uh, thermalize it, essentially. So through scattering events off the water, um, the neutron loses energy. And when it's at a lower energy, it actually has a higher probability of um, colliding with a fissile atom and visioning it. Um, so they want to use a fast reactor, so sodium will not moderate um, the neutron in the same manner that water will, so it'll absorb some of them, but the one that doesn't absorb will pass right through it and maintain their kinetic energy, and this allows them to um, burn up heavier isotopes of plutonium, let's say, than um, a moderated reactor, so isotopes like plutonium uh, 240, 242, uh, things like that that are usually nuclear waste can be used as fuel. And because it has better neutron economy, it actually produces more fuel than it consumes, so it's considered a breeder reactor. Um, one downside of this design is because there's a lower probability of a fission event happening per neutron, they need to use more highly enriched fuel. So a normal reactor um, might only need to be enriched to say 5%. This might need to be enriched to say 20 or even 30%. Okay, and obviously I'm just a layman and I don't pretend to be otherwise, so I'll ask what may be a stupid question. If that's the case, does that mean a, an accident here could be five times as uh, violent as an accident with a water-cooled reactor? Um. Well, it depends on the mechanism of uh, the accident. So, okay. Um, in Fukushima, for example, several things went wrong. Um, so they did shut down um, the fission process, um, but a nuclear reactor generates about 20% of its power um, from the decay heat of the um, fission byproducts. So when an atom fissions, it um, splits into two atoms, and those two atoms are generally um, radioactive themselves, and those decay, and as they decay, they release heat, and that contributes to the heat generated by the reactor. And so in Fukushima, what happened is they weren't able to keep the, cool, the core cool, and so the heat from the decay byproduct built up until it melted down, and then, um, because they were using water in their reactor, um, the zirconium uh, piping, once it heated up enough, um, zirconium will react with water. And when it does, um, that'll release hydrogen gas, which then exploded. Um, so that's what happened there. In this case, um, Bill Gates, in, or at least uh, the, uh, the company TerraPower, uh, claims 
that they have uh, quote unquote a passive cooling system where um, in the event of a shutdown, instead of having to run water through the core, that just natural convection of air will allow it to dissipate the decay heat. Um, now that's a claim they've made. I haven't seen anything in literature validating um, that uh, their design can actually do that. Um, but that begs another question, which is um, how well contained is this if it relies upon convection? Um, so um, that's another potential concern is if it's open to the air essentially and you have air circulating through it and then you have say a sodium leak um, that would make it much easier for that radioactive sodium to escape. Okay, I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Peter Martin from the University of Wyoming. We're discussing uh, the proposed uh, nuclear reactor that uh, was announced recently. And by the way, at 1133, I'm going to replay an interview that Glenn Woods did this week uh, with the governor about that reactor. Um, by the way, we are taking calls. If anybody has any questions or comments, 632-3323. So, Dr. Martin, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, you have some concerns about some claims with the safety mechanism that you considered questionable. Would that be an accurate summary? Yes. So, um, I think, um, well, first of all, um, the easiest way to test their claims would be, um, you know, to set up um, resistive heating elements that don't have any nuclear material. Mm-hmm. Um, to a worst case scenario type temperature and see if the convective uh, mechanism works. Um, I haven't seen any evidence that that test has been performed. Um, another uh, concern with that particular um, safety feature is that if it's using um, the natural convection of air, um, basically as the air is heated, the warm air will rise and draw in cool air, um, then it has to essentially be open to atmosphere uh, instead of being in a containment vessel. And so if it is, then um, if the sodium uh, primary coolant loop were to develop a leak, it would, um, as I said earlier, uh, burn violently. Uh, the sodium would, of course, be intensely radioactive um, from exposure to neutrons in the core. And because sodium is um, so common in um, pretty much all life forms, it would be uptaken very readily if it made it in the atmosphere and pushed the data out. So this sounds, and again, I'm a layman and I'm not trying to sensationalize this, but if I'm understanding you correctly, this sounds like a potentially very dangerous situation. Is that accurate? Yes, potentially if the proper safeguards aren't taken. Um, sodium cool reactors have been used in the past. Um, I've looked at the history of sodium reactors. Um, several have been shut down due to um, minor accidents and sodium fires that were contained. Um, the question is, um, would this reactor be able to contain a sodium fire if one were to happen? Um, and the other question, I guess, would be, um, you know, uh, what materials are they using in their piping? And a final concern is that um, 
So a one benefit of a liquid dental cooled reactor is you can get away with using um, lower pressures because um, water, of course, boils at a relatively low temperature, right. and sodium doesn't boil until very high temperature. Um, so you can heat it much higher and um, get better thermal efficiency. Um, the problem being that um, if the reactor is shut down for any reason, then that liquid metal coolant will solidify. And once it does that, it's almost impossible to restart the reactor. So a little bit of history in this regard, um, the Soviets um, and their Alpha-class submarines used a lead bismuth eutectic cooled nuclear reactor, um, basically again a liquid metal cool reactor, and it gave great performance at a very um, small size, which is what they're aiming for. The problem is that whenever there was an uh, accident in the reactor that called for shutting it down, then the coolant would solidify and the reactor was basically um, permanently disabled. They had to replace the entire unit. And so this puts a great deal of pressure on the reactor operators to potentially overlook um, encroaching safety concerns in the interest of keeping the reactor critical so that it doesn't um, essentially have to be rebuilt. Um, so I want to make sure that you know proper protocols are in place and enforced um, so that an operator doesn't um, push the boundaries of what would be considered acceptable in an effort to save the reactor. So you're, you're concerned about economic concerns overriding safety concerns in a nutshell. Yes. Now, Dr. Martin, uh, this, of course, is all on the drawing board. It hasn't been constructed yet. They don't even know for sure where they're going to build it. Could they make changes in the, um, in the plans for this to make it safer that would address your concerns? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, um, I haven't even seen the plans for the reactor because they're um, proprietary, I believe, at this point. Um, I think to address my concerns, um, the primary thing that would need to be done is to have an outside consulting firm um, that has a um, uh, good reputation um, examine this um, they could do it under a non-disclosure agreement if um, Terra Power is concerned about their design leaking. Um, but we basically need somebody who has no financial incentive to approve this or um, reject this design to take a look at it and um, point out potential safety flaws and then address those before building begins. Okay, what's, what sort of regulatory processes or, or agencies are in place to deal with, with a reactor like this? I, I don't know. Would that be the, the uh, Federal Energy uh, the Regulatory Commission, or who would it be? So, um, I know the Department of Energy has experimented with miniaturized nuclear reactors in the past. Um, they build a lot of our submarine reactors, um, which are also miniaturized, obviously, because they have to go into a submarine. Mm -hmm. Um so they might be a good candidate. There's also the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, 
but um, given the amount of influence that people like um, Gates and Buffett and whatnot have um, kind of at those levels, um, I would say potentially that you might want to have um, scientists from both um, Nuclear Regulatory Commission or the Department of Energy and an outside commercial firm um, examine this. And the other thing that I would want to see happen is to um, look very carefully at the deal and make sure that um, the company building it is responsible for any accidents um, that might happen. I know that a lot of times um, energy producers are able to negotiate deals with the government where um, they become essentially um, immune from any uh, lawsuits or, um, you know, other, how would I phrase it, other consequences of um, safety features failing. And so as long as they're on the hook for any um, potential release of radioisotopes or things like that, then I think it'll be in their best interest to make it as safe as possible. Um, and I also think that having outside eyes who have no vested interest one way or the other very closely examine the design and potentially test some of these claims on their own uh, would be a good, um, you know, a good safeguard. It's sort of like um, if you had a car company that um, was trying to sell you a car and they claimed that they had performed these um, tests and they say this is the safest car, you know, that's ever been built and it'll survive an accident, non, non, non you wouldn't want to buy that car unless those claims have been reviewed by um, the National Transportation Board, for instance, right? Um, you wouldn't just take the company's word for it. You'd want um, a third party to look in and verify that, yes, these claims are true or, no, they're exaggerating their claims. So um, at this point, I can't say whether it's one or the other. I just don't have enough information. Um, but what I can say is there's sort of... Um, uh, what would the word be? Um, it's sort of like um, designing a fireplace, right? Um, it's a very good thing to have in your home. It will heat your house. It will um, do it at a good price. Um, but if it's poorly designed, um, you can die of carbon monoxide poisoning or it could start a fire or it could cause other problems. So it has to be done properly. And so um, there's building codes for where fireplaces are built and how they're built. And all I'm saying is that we need something similar for this because it's basically a giant fireplace that's generating power. Um, the only difference is that in this case, if there's an accident, it could potentially affect a large region of the state because even though the half-life of the radioactive sodium is only 15 hours, um, depending on the amount released, it could take many half-lives for it to decay away to the point where it was safe. 
and with the winds the way they are in Wyoming, it could spread quite a distance. Dr. Martin, it looks like we have a caller. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yeah, yes, sir. I got a, I got a question. If it's so dangerous, why are we even building in the state of Wyoming? Well, um, that is um, another thing that came to mind is that um, if uh, Gates and company are so convinced that their uh, design is safe, then why aren't they building it in a state like California that already... Bingo! Right on! <laughs> right on, dude! Excellent point! You have a great day, sir. Bye-bye! So, so you think Wyoming maybe is is being chosen because we we don't have experience regulating these type of projects, and they might think that they can get it through more easily. Is that sort of what you're saying? Well, I think Wyoming might be being chosen simply because it's um, aside from Alaska, the most sparsely populated uh, state in the country, mm-hmm. and so. If there were to be an accident, the number of people exposed would be smaller than if they built it somewhere else. And so their liability would then potentially be lower. Um, that thought has crossed my mind. Um, I'm not sure if their reasoning or their official reasoning for building it out here. I mean, obviously, if we can land this deal and, you know, get this outside income into the state or state, state uh, budget crisis, um, and that would be a wonderful thing for the state. Um, but we have to make sure it's done safely and that we're not just being used as essentially a lab rat. Dr. Martin, we're down to just a couple minutes left here. In, in summary, if I'm hearing you correctly, and correct me if I'm not, it sounds like you're not opposed to the concept, but you want some safety uh, safeguards in place and some, uh, some close looks taken by regulators who don't have a bias. Would that be accurate? Yes, absolutely. Um, for example, um, the, uh, the sodium, uh, when it gets hit with neutrons, um, it will decay uh, with a half-life of 15 hours into magnesium. Uh, magnesium is not soluble. That is one of the concerns that I've raised is, um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned that they're building it in such a sparsely populated area to start with. Um, it makes me think that they might have safety concerns of their own, and um, by building it in a very sparsely populated area, um, relatively speaking, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the United States, that, um, you know, they're trying to avoid liability in the event of an accident, and, um, you know, that's not necessarily the reason they're doing it. Um, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything um, without all its proof, um, but it is sort of a, um, it's not a red flag, it's a yellow flag. It's something we should be considering. Well, I'm against it. So anyway, thank you so very much. Thanks, caller. So, Dr. Martin, um, what's the worst-case scenario on this? What, what could happen if, if, if this absolutely went south? Well, okay, so the worst-case scenario, in my opinion, would be is if his um, cooling system is convective and he doesn't have a uh, proper containment facility around it. Um, in other words, 
Um, most nuclear reactors have a um, high-pressure vessel to contain the water um, so that it will boil at a higher temperature and they can run their reactors at a higher temperature. Those are the moderated reactors I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, which account for most commercial reactors. Now, um, his design claims to be able to avoid a meltdown um, by using convective cooling. Now, that would have to go through the core, and the primary coolant loop also has to go through the core in order to um, pick up heat from the fuel rod. And so, if there were to be a leak in the primary coolant loop, what would happen is the sodium would start burning. And the sodium would burn very, very hot, and so a very small leak would rapidly get larger as it melted the material that the pipe was made out of. And if the coolant continued to flow and continued to burn, um, we would essentially have, um, I don't know how else to describe it, but a radioactive barbecue if you how. Um, the sodium is, uh, to give you a little bit of background on how radioactive the sodium is, in the Operation Crossroads test, in the 1940s, they detonated a 20 kiloton um, plutonium device underwater um, because they wanted to see the effect it would have on um, World War II era ships that were obsolete. And um, the ones closest to the blast obviously sank, but the ones further out just got sprayed with some seawater from the blast. And um, when the scientists got near the vessel, um, to retrieve samples, they discovered it was so radioactive from the sodium just in seawater that had been splashed on it that they couldn't go aboard to retrieve their samples. And a lot of data was lost because anybody um, sent aboard those ships would have been killed by the, radio by the um, radioactivity. Mm -hmm. So sodium is a very, very good neutron absorber, and that's because there's only one isotope of sodium, uh, sodium-23. And so, um, odd-numbered isotopes like that tend to be good neutron absorbers, and sodium especially is a very good neutron absorber. And um, in this case, instead of using seawater, which has, you know, a few grams per liter sodium in it, they're using pure metallic sodium. And so... Um, you know, one way to make this design safer would be to use something like a molten salt. Um, there's molten salt reactors in operation, and the benefit that those have is because the metal is already oxidized, essentially, it's already um, not in a metallic state, it can't burn anymore. And so if there's a leak, then yes, the molten salt will leak out, but it won't undergo any further chemical reaction. Whereas the sodium, if it were to leak, um, would burn in air, um, producing um, sodium hydroxide, and um, that then would be lifted into the atmosphere by the heat, and um, it would form, uh, for example, uh, seeds in clouds if it got up that high. Um, causing nucleation and precipitation, which should be extremely radioactive. Um, by the way, for people who do know a little bit more about nuclear physics, um, it's a beta emitter, uh, which means it emits a high-energy electron. 
and um, the half-life is 15 hours. So that doesn't mean it's only dangerous for 15 hours. It just means that um, the activity drops off by a factor of um, one half every 15 hours. So if you had a massive leak, um, then after 15 hours, you only have half as much activity, but that can still be very dangerous. And so after 30 hours, you still have 25% of the activity. Um, you know, after 45 hours, you still have, um, you know, an eighth of the activity, etc. And um, with the strong winds in Wyoming, um, if it did get into a cloud layer, it could spread for quite a distance if enough sodium leaked out and burned. Um, so I think that the material that they're making their piping out of needs to be closely examined, as well as the geometry. Um, anybody who's ever worked with plumbing will know that um, elbow joints tend to fail um, just under water. Um, and of course, sodium is uh, much denser than water, and it's going to be a lot hotter. And the material that it's flowing through is going to be exposed to a neutron flux, which is going to weaken it over time. And so I think they have to develop a comprehensive lifetime plan for when their primary coolant loop has to be replaced uh, to keep it safe. Real simple question. Would using molten salt make this project safe? Um, it would definitely make it much safer. Um, I mean, with nuclear power, there's always the potential for something to go wrong. Um, but as far as I know, there has never been a major accident um, involving loss of human life or major contamination involving a molten fault reactor. And I think a molten fault reactor uh, would be much safer than a liquid metal reactor. Um, just in my opinion. So, um, so why not use molten salt? Is there an argument against that? Is it more expensive? What, what would be the reason for that? Well, it is. Um, I think um, the design would have to be a little bit larger. Um, the molten salt um, might uh, not be as neutron transparent as the sodium. I know he's trying to miniaturize this as much as possible. So. Um, I'm not as much an expert on molten salt reactors as I am on liquid metal reactors. Um, but I do know that um, India, for instance, which um, is suffering from uh, growing demand for power, is uh, using uh, molten salt reactors. And um, in fact, one of the benefits of a molten salt reactor is that um, Extracting um, is that the uh, fuel is actually in the molten salt, and so um, as I said, the material in their um, fuel rods is going to have to be very highly enriched. So you have the potential for a leak in the fuel rods, and you also have the potential for a leak in the coolant loop. Whereas in a molten salt reactor, you only have one loop to worry about because the fuel is already in the molten salt and um, it doesn't have to be quite as highly enriched and um, it's also much harder to extract from a proliferation standpoint um, than uh, something like what they're building. 
Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Thomas Peter Martin of the University of... I haven't um, reviewed all four locations. Um, I would say that um, from a safety standpoint, um, building it in the more sparsely populated uh, regions uh, would be better from a safety standpoint. Um, but you also have to look at um, weather uh, patterns. So... Um, what's likely to be um, downwind of it. Um, so I think you would have to bring in um, meteorologists to um, properly assess that. Now in terms of nuclear waste, is that an issue with this reactor? Well, one of the um, interesting things about this reactor is so nuclear uh, waste can um, broadly be broken down into uh, two categories. The first category are um, fission byproducts, um, most of which have a comparatively short half-life um, and are generally safe after about a century or so. So disposing of them long-term isn't as um, difficult. Now, um, the other category of nuclear waste are what's considered transuranic. So those are all of the elements um, heavier than uranium that are generated um, in a nuclear reactor. So things like plutonium, neptunium, americium, curium, things like that. And some of those have half-lives on the order of um, tens of thousands or even millions of years, depending on the isotopes. Uh, now, one advantage of this fast reactor design is that it's able to burn more of those up. Uh, fast neutron is able to fission isotopes that would normally be non-fissile in a moderated reactor. And so in theory, this reactor could actually be used to burn up um, transuranic um, nuclear waste from other reactors around the country that produce a lot of it. Um, the challenge, of course, being is that you have to reprocess the fuel, which means separating the transuranics from the fission decay products, and um, that's quite an expensive process. Um, so whether or not they're actually going to go through with that um, would be something you would have to ask them. Um, but certainly it has the potential to not only reduce long-term nuclear waste, but actually eliminate long-term nuclear waste from other sites. Uh, so that's one big advantage of this reactor that has me kind of excited about it, um, if it can be made safe. Um, so this reactor design um, certainly has its benefits. Um, but like I said, the main drawback is the need for liquid metal cooling. Um, that, um, you know, because liquid metal will not flow the neutrons the same way that water will. And, um, you know, the choice of sodium as liquid metal is a little bit confusing um, uh, because there's a lot of other metals, um, say potassium, for instance, that melts at um, a similar temperature and isn't as strong of a neutron absorber. Um, I mean, it's a little bit more chemically reactive, um, but not much more. Um, so, um, I think um, when you're looking at this kind of reactor, 
um, they've typically been used on um, in military applications before. Um, so in things like submarines where um, performance and size are um, considered paramount and they, they're willing to push the safety boundaries a little bit because it's a military application. Um, but for a civilian application, um, I think it might be worthwhile to um, consider expanding the facility a little bit and using something like molten salt reactors, which um, can also burn up transuranics and can also um, generate more fuel than they burn. And um, so they have pretty much all the benefits of this liquid metal cooled reactor, um, except you've taken away the um, chemical reactivity of the coolant. So if there is a leak, there won't be a metal fire. Um, and of course, metal fires burn extremely hot. And um, because they're so radioactive, I have no idea how they would intend to put one out. So that would be a question that the state regulators should certainly ask them is if for some reason your safety features fail and there is a leak in your primary coolant loop that starts a fire, um, what safety features are present to put out that fire um, before it grows into something that simply can't be contained. So again, again, it sounds like you believe this project can be made safe. You just have some concerns about how it's being proposed at the moment. Is that true? Yes. Um, well, I certainly believe that this um, can be made safe. Um, obviously, um, liquid sodium reactors were experimented with um, mostly in the 60s and 70s. Um, they did have um, some sodium fires, although they were relatively minor. Um, they tended to be military projects, um, and um, those were, of course, done in military test sites, which were well away from civilian centers, and they were contained. Um, however, technology, of course, has advanced a lot in the last half century. And so with modern computer controls and materials advances and things like that, I think it can be made safe. Um, my main concern is that the only people who I've been hearing any um, design features from are TerraPower themselves. Um, they write these articles and they get published in places like um, Forbes or in CNBC or other mainstream outlets touting all their safety features. Um, but I think that an independent audit essentially needs to be done on those safety features to prove that they function as designed and um, to prove that um, uh, or rather to establish um, a set of protocols um, should any of these designs fail because um, as they say, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men and all that, um, even if you design the perfect system, uh, you can have an unexpected failure mode that you didn't anticipate. And if that were to happen, you need to have um, something that will um, extinguish the fire and contain the sodium. 
And so um, the only way to extinguish a sodium fire is essentially um, something like a halon fire extinguishing system, um, which basically just smothers it in um, a compound which will not react with sodium. And um, it's gaseous. Um, they use it in um, military applications. They use these kind of reactors. And the problem being is that it only works in a contained system like the um, reactor compartment of a nuclear submarine. It wouldn't work if your uh, core was relying on convective cooling and um, the convection was being done by um, essentially outside air because then you would release the halon and it would just be convected out into the atmosphere and it wouldn't do its job. So I think that there's a couple of safety features that might be um, perhaps the word would be self-defeating if, um, you know, if push came to shove. So the convective idea to prevent a meltdown is a good one, but if there were to be a sodium leak instead of a meltdown, then suddenly it's working against you. And it sounds like a sodium leak is your bigger concern. Would that be accurate? Yes, it is. Um, so I think that... Um, Meltdowns can be prevented, obviously, by inserting the control rods. So normally a nuclear reactor is, um, the reactivity is controlled um, by inserting and removing um, rods that absorb neutrons. And so um, they insert them a certain distance to uh, maintain the right neutron flux to generate the desired amount of power. If they want more power, they can retract them. If they want to reduce power, they can insert them. Um, the problem is, um, as I said in Fukushima, is even if you, um, what's known as scram the reactor, which is to insert the rods all the way to shut down the fission process entirely, you still have fission byproducts mixed in with the fuel that will be continuing to generate about 20% of the reactor's peak power, and that heat has to be dissipated. And that was um, typically done through water coolant loops, the problem being, of course, that if power fails to the pumps, then it melts down like what happened in Fukushima. And so the idea of using a passive cooling system that uses convection is a good one, um, but we have to make sure that whatever fluid they're using for their convective system is contained so that if there is a sodium leak, it's all contained inside a sealed um, reactor unit and none of it can get out into the environment. Dr. Martin, we're down to about a minute left, and I do have another guest coming up at 12.05, so I'll have to uh, close this segment down. Any last thoughts for our audience here this morning? Um, I would say this. I would say don't be um, unduly scared of it. Um, I do believe, um, as a scientist, that just looking at it thermodynamically, uh, nuclear power is 
probably the future. I don't think wind and solar have the um, cut it from our national energy needs standpoint. So I do think nuclear has to be developed and explored. Um, I just think it has to be done safely because um, you know new nuclear reactors will put on hold for many decades after Three Mile Island, and so. If a similar incident were to happen here, it would set the entire movement back by decades. Um, and so, this should be done, but it should be done safely. Dr. And Martin, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to cut you off here. We are out of time, but I do appreciate your, your time this morning. It's been very informative. Thank you. All right. Uh, thank you. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Getting support from friends online kept me on track. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. Instead of smoking after I ate, I'd get up and take a walk. I missed having a cigarette in my hand, so I'd hold a pen or a straw, anything. Until I knew I wouldn't give in to temptation, I spent more time with my friends who didn't smoke. I went to places that were smoke-free. I didn't stay quit the very first time I tried. I kept on trying, and I learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. I quit. I quit. I quit. We did it. So can you. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Man, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. No, 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 no. Sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them. Like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B, get spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within. Um. C. Look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D. Show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Ta-da! to. Ta-da! Twinsies. <laughs> I kind of love it. <laughs> As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Ice-T. As a veteran, I know that for many former servicemen and women, the battle doesn't always end when they come home. Every day, 184 veterans are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, and sadly, 20 take their own lives. When nothing else helps, professionally trained service dogs can. American Humane, serving the U.S. military for over 100 years, rescues animals in need of forever homes, and trains them to become free, life-saving service dogs for our nation's veterans. If you're a veteran or know a veteran struggling with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury, please go to AmericanHumane.org to learn about their Pups for Patriots program. Let's give our veterans a fighting chance. KGAB Orchard Valley Cheyenne. K258DN Orchard Valley. Breaking news, weather, sports, and talk. A town square media station. Peekaboo.
Peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Charges. Maybe he's I just being a boy. Fox News. You know how boys are. Governor Andrew or maybe Cuomo he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org slash signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. The Senate has fought for days about amendments to this bill. There is a push to add reporting mandates to the bill for cryptocurrency that would raise about $28 billion to cover the cost of the bill. Vice President Harris is now here to meet with senators about the bill. Framework for this bill was agreed to by an alliance of bipartisan senators in mid-June, but the slowdown now explains why Congress has struggled to pass infrastructure for years. Senate Democrats say once work is done on the bill, they will immediately turn to the much more partisan $3.5 trillion proposal for so-called human infrastructure. Meanwhile, rising costs of consumer goods are fueling more concerns about inflation. Utah Republican Senator Mike Lee. Look, inflation's going way up because the federal government's been spending way too much money that it doesn't have. When it does that, we effectively just print more money. I mean, look, I know U.S. Treasuries are issued and everything, but it has the same effect as just printing more money. The Biden administration has said inflation can be expected as the economy recovers from the pandemic. America is listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. What are the most important issues facing Americans today? Every Monday, join me, Brett Baer, Chief Political Anchor and Anchor and Executive Editor of Special Report, and my rotating all-star panel of experts as we discuss the policies, practices, and solutions to the biggest and most important issues of the day. You can hear new episodes every Monday. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Fox News Rundown is a weekday morning podcast that dives deep into the major and controversial stories of the day. Hosted by the anchors of Fox News Radio. Subscribe now to hear a perspective of news you won't find anywhere else. Listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Wildfires are torching through forests in Greece, threatening homes and triggering more evacuations. Flames swept through a town near Athens overnight, and hundreds of people were evacuated by ferry from the island of Evia. One volunteer firefighter has died, and at least 20 people have been treated in hospitals. More people are deciding to get coronavirus vaccines, especially in high transmission areas. Fox's Rachel Sutherland reports. A number of southern states are reporting a surge of vaccinations since July. July, including Louisiana, Mississippi, and Arkansas. Dr. Lee Mokdad, Chief Strategy Officer, Population Health at the University of Washington, tells Fox News Radio the shots prevent serious illness. Highly effective against 
hospitalization, so you don't need to go to a hospital, you don't need to be on oxygen, and of course, there is no trip to the morgue. White House COVID response coordinator Jeff Zients says people are seeing the impact of being unvaccinated and unprotected, and they're responding by doing their part. Rachel Sutherland. Fox News. New Jersey's holding so-called gun buyback events across the state today. The gun buybacks are being held in four New Jersey cities, coordinated by the acting attorney general's office. Residents can anonymously turn in up to three guns in Atlantic City, East Orange, Newark, and Patterson. Anyone turning in a gun can get $25 for inoperable firearms, $125 for rifles and shotguns, $200 for handguns, and $250 for assault weapons. Law enforcement firearms experts will be on hand at each location to help with evaluation and securing of the weapons that are turned in. The buybacks are being funded from forfeiture money from local police departments, as well as county prosecutor's offices and the Division of Criminal Justice. In New York, Tanya J. Powers, Fox News. And I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News. Your day weather forecast is brought to you by Bob Ruart Motors. Doing business without the hassle, all roads lead to BobRuartMotors.com. Good looking weather conditions this Saturday. Temperatures comfortable near 80. Nighttime lows going to be in the low to mid 50s. It'll be dry with hazy, smoky skies and light to breezy northwest winds. Heating up Sunday back to near 90. Likewise, Monday looking to remain dry to mostly dry. It's a slight chance of an isolated storm. Lows upper 50s. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. And welcome back once again to Weekend in Wyoming. I'm Doug Randall. On this segment, I have Cody Tucker with 7220sports.com. Cody, welcome aboard. You're newly affiliated with us in Town Square Media of Cheyenne. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all, Doug. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, really happy to be here. Really excited. It, uh, you know, I started this thing in, in June of 2019, and uh, obviously we've been in some very uncertain times, and and uh, getting on with Town Square just adds stability and longevity to something that I created, and it feels really good to know that, that it's going to be around for a long, long time. I think there's a lot of interest in UW sports big market for what you're doing yeah absolutely uh that you know when i was in michigan as a as a sports reporter people thought i was crazy when i came up with this idea because you know their thought is wyoming only has half a million people but they didn't understand that half a million people care about the wyoming cowboys whether that's a little bit or a lot so that's a whole state and no other state can say that well and we don't have wyoming and wyoming state yeah. southern wyoming we've yeah. got fo one four-year university people follow it closely uh, when they do well, people get excited. When uh, when a former Polk does well, like Josh Allen in the NFL, people love it. Yep. It's a big deal here. Absolutely. And, and people outside of Wyoming don't really understand it. You know, we're small but mighty, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, you know, people have no idea what it takes to get to Laramie uh, on a day like today, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what it takes for us to go 45 miles is uh, quite a feat. So you're not going from Moreland or Sheridan, you know, most times to get to a basketball game. It's just the reality of where we live. So people do care tremendously though absolutely now 7220 sports for those whom it doesn't ring a bell for the elevation yes of laramie yep the highest football stadium in division one football and something we like to take advantage of by reminding <laughs> yeah. people of that when they come from the lower elevations that's right now you mentioned the difficulty of getting to laramie how much is it a, a problem to recruit athletes to laramie is that is that tough 
I mean, I'd imagine it's not easy. Um, you know, it's the demographics are slanted a certain way. It's kind of Laramie's kind of out there on its own. Uh, I know we take a lot of pride in it, and it's like you know Wyoming's hometown. But for a kid coming from inner city Chicago, maybe or, or Dallas, uh, it's a little different. But you know, I think these teams though they're their own little community, mm-hmm. and they bond together, and they're buddies, and they're you know lifelong brothers. And and you know, to be honest with you, Doug, there's not that many Division One opportunities out there. If that you is think true. about it. Yes. You know, and I covered sports in Houston, Texas, and all those kids thought they were going to Texas. They all mm-hmm. thought they were going to Texas A&M. It, there's only so many scholarships to go around. So I think we've been really fortunate in Denver. Uh, really picked up a lot of kids out of the Denver metro area that have really made a big difference at Wyoming. And Craig Bull, since he's been here, has made a huge effort to keep the Wyoming kids in state mm-hmm. that need to be here. So, Which didn't used to be the case so much. No. No, and, and you can't win with a whole roster loaded with Wyoming kids. You just can't, and we know that. I mean, it'd be a cute story, but it just won't work. So it is nice to keep the ones that, that should be here, Division One caliber athletes. Mm-hmm. That's key. Which you're looking at a handful of kids, but nonetheless, it's a Maybe. nice tie. Yeah, yeah, and also a great thing about Craig Bowles is walk-on program's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He encourages walk-ons. To, I think 33-plus walk-ons have earned a scholarship under him since he's been here since 2014. So a lot of those are Wyoming kids. Of course, when a Josh Allen comes from Wyoming and does well, we've sent several notable players to the NBA. That does help with recruiting. Absolutely. Right now, it's so unbelievable still to this day. Remember back in the day, you turn on an NFL Sunday and – be like, oh, there's a Wyoming guy. You know, it's amazing. Holy cow, I get to watch a Wyoming guy. Mm-hmm. Now there's 16 of them. Mm-hmm. It's harder not to find a Wyoming guy <laughs> on TV, which is just gives us all a sense of pride, of course. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Wyoming guy first and foremost, so it does give you pride. And especially when you live outside of Wyoming, you can go, yeah, you see that guy? Yeah, yeah. I know where he went to school. He... He's well, from there's my a good, state. good chance people might even know him. A lot of folks know Josh Allen. Oh, Josh, for sure. But, yeah, a lot of even the, the other guys, you know. Chase Rullier just got paid by Washington. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Epps had some nice plays in Philly. And there's just one guy after another. And it's so great to see. Tell us about yourself. You're originally from Michigan? Cheyenne. I'm from Wyoming. Oh, okay. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'm from Cheyenne. uh, Graduated from Central High School and uh, went to LCCC. Uh, Got my uh, journalism mass media degree at LCCC and then started this crazy ride. My first journalism job was in Warland, Wyoming, and uh, still went to every Wyoming game, by the way, which was a 10-hour round trip on Saturday. People do that here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was brutal. It was brutal. Uh, But, yeah, uh, and then ended up in Douglas. uh, Spent a couple years there and then uh, went to a newspaper in Houston, covered uh, Jalen Hurts, the current All Eagles right. quarterback when he was in high school down there. And Is he a good guy? Or? A great guy. Yeah. Yeah. And Alabama was on him like right out of junior high. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the way it is anymore with the big time recruiting. Oh man, especially down there. Oh, uh, yeah. it, that's I actually took a pay cut to go from Douglas to Houston. But are you serious? Isn't that crazy? That seems impossible. Yeah, about an eight thousand dollar pay cut. Oh my lord. Yeah, but I thought you know when are you going to get experience like this? Mm-hmm. I covered probably fifty Division One football players. Looks great on a resume. It does, and it was great experience because people do care. <laughs> they care tremendously about high school football. Not that Douglas doesn't, because they really do in their right. own way too. But but. How High school football Texas. in the South is almost a religion. Yeah. Friday night lights yeah. is a big deal. Absolutely. And the stadium was almost as big as War Memorial Stadium, the main <laughs> one I covered. And you'd be in the press box and they feed they're feeding you like Chick-fil-A and <laughs> there's big screens that show the replay and 
you're like, what is this? So how did you end up back in Wyoming? Then? Well, um, I came, ended up coming back to Douglas after Houston uh, because my boss was sick and he, he begged me. So I went back to Douglas and then did a little radio for a while. I actually moved to Florida for 10 whole days till uh, our radio host got us fired. And uh, <laughs> back, <laughs> back to Wyoming we come. But I, uh, I got a job covering Michigan State University Athletics for the Lansing State Journal and mm-hmm. uh, lived in Michigan for two years. And my wife is from there. So it was kind of weird. We met in Wyoming, so it was kind of weird for her to move back. But it was a huge opportunity to cover the Spartans. And, you know, I covered Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio for two years. And Did you cover Kirk Cousins? Or? I met him, met Kirk Cousins, yeah. But he wasn't there when you were No, there. he got inducted into the Ring of Fame, though, at Spartan Stadium when I, I was see. there. So great, great athlete. Well, he's done very well for himself. Yeah, he was. who knew he was such a great football player? Well, fifth-round draft choice. He's, <laughs> yeah. uh, he's, he's made his money and made his mark right now in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. So, so how's Michigan State, how's covering that different than covering the University of Wyoming? Oh, just there's a billion and a half reporters that cover I'll, Michigan I'll State. And then uh, after Michigan State, I actually moved on and covered the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, and uh, a million people cover the Pittsburgh Penguins, mm-hmm. too. So that's kind of the difference here. You get way more, um, you get to know the players better. You have better, way better access. And very I can believe that. that, man. It's so good to be able to sit with a player and not just talk about X's and O's, but talk about them as a person. Mm-hmm. And then you get to relay that onto the fans, and then the fans feel like they get to know them. So it's been great in that regard. And, and you know, to be honest with you, Doug, I didn't miss a Wyoming game for 28 years growing oh, really? up. And this was always my dream job. So I've always been fighting to get back. And people think I'm nuts that, you know, Michigan State's way bigger than Wyoming. The Pittsburgh Penguins are way bigger than Wyoming. But that's not in Wyoming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, this is my dream. It's it's absolutely my dream job to to say that I cover the Wyoming Cowboys. That means the world to me. So you started this website, you said, in 2019. How did yep. that all come about? Um, <laughs> you know, I'd be sitting in the press boxes at Spartan Stadium and at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, and I'd be looking at these other guys who independently covered those teams, and I'd go, these guys aren't very bright. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not very bright, and, and their interviews are not good, and I've read their stuff, and but somehow they're making it. Right. I can do this. Uh-huh. So, and you know, of course, uh, it makes me sad, but newspapers are definitely what newspapers are now. and, and Serious uh, decline. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's my first love, but um, I knew I better get on the wave of technology, which I'm not a techno, I'm not into technology whatsoever, but I thought I better get on this wave, or, you know, I could be possibly left behind. So. Well, in the days of waiting for the morning paper to yep. come out to check the scores, those are over with. It's not that way anymore. Yeah, and my competitors over in Laramie at the Wyoming Tribune Eagle and the Casper Star, um, you know, they're pinched so hard. And now there's, what, Mondays and Tuesdays, they don't even print. Right. So if you think right. about it, if a game ends in Laramie on a Saturday night at like 11 o'clock. Which is not unusual. Uh, not unusual. That no, That is not coming out in the paper till Wednesday morning. Right. So, And I know they post stuff online, but... You know, there's a lot of people who still want to hold that newspaper, and I'm with them, but it's, you know, the grip is definitely loosening. So when it comes to to covering UW sports, how do you approach that? What do you you emphasize? Um, You know, my background is in features. 
and storytelling mm-hmm. and getting to know people and the real in-depth stuff. Um, so, you know, I do the day-to-day beat stuff, of course, you know, right. what's going on. But, you know, we launched the site June 1st, 2019, and I knew right away my first story was going to be about Finnis Dembo. And we went down to San Antonio and spent the day with Finnis, of course, a Wyoming great, won a championship with the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons in the 90s. Um, I knew I wanted him, and it wasn't just a, oh, Finnis Dembo. It was, I knew that Finnis had had, you know, a rough life after basketball. Right. Um, right. Tell us a little bit about that for those who don't know. Yeah, so Finnis on Easter morning, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the year, but on Easter morning, he had a home invasion, and uh, oh. a guy was busting in his house, and he had his whole family in the house, including his uh, elderly mother and his nieces and nephews, and unfortunately, Finnis uh, had to shoot the the gentleman and uh he shot and killed him and um it's something that affects finnis so badly to this day uh he couldn't leave his house um but it's a no-win situation the other right. end of that you're sean taylor and you're dead sure sure uh, you know and i i tried to talk to finnis a lot about that i said you know nobody would blame you and he says you know that that doesn't help that doesn't help me. You know, he doesn't own a gun anymore. He has no desire. He, you know, he told me over and over, I took a man's life. I took, I took somebody's husband, you know, right. and it, it is a horrible situation. And Finnis is just lights up a room and he's such a great human being and he still is. But man, uh, what a, what a struggle to go from winning a ring with the Pistons to having to do something so unfortunate like that in the childhood home. He grew up in where he still lives. We did oh, the wow. interview about wow. five feet away from that front door where that gentleman broke in. It speaks well of him as a human being that he does have that moral quandary oh absolutely yeah he's not you know it's easy to be a gun toting and say hey yeah i'd do it but it's another thing when you actually have to do it right talk to anybody who's been in combat and i'll tell you about that sure sure so you 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 sound like you get more into the personalities and the uh that that the personal aspect of sports would that be an accurate summary yeah absolutely uh the biggest story in my career and i don't know if this name rings a bell for you doug but uh i did a story on charles rogers who was a former former number former number one draft choice the Lions, he was a bust. Yes, and nobody had seen him in a decade, and uh, I found him. I found him in Fort Myers, Florida, working at a chop shop, and uh, my boss said, if you find him, I don't care if he's on the moon, I will fly you there the next day. They flew me to Fort Myers, Florida, and I spent four days with Charles Rogers, and it was the biggest story I've ever done in my life. This is for me because I'm curious. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, Charles had a really public fall from grace, as you know. I mean, right away you say bust. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of Chuck. But he uh, he just was going down a really dangerous path. Drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. Happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, and he had eight children with four different women. And, you know, once he fell out of the NFL, he you know, all of the – you know, I don't know about you, Doug, but back then when he got drafted, he's from Saginaw. He went to Michigan State. Then he gets Detroit. drafted by the Lions. And I go, wow, that's cool. High profile, number one pick. Yeah, and I thought, man. And that's really cool. He's got to feel on top of the world. And I was just a kid back then. Right. Uh, but it wasn't now. It wasn't a good thing. Um, the leeches are still too close to you. And well, that's what and happens when you're rich. A couple of things about that from my perspective. For one thing, the Lions had a string of number one busts. Joey yes. Harrington, yep. Charles Rogers. We could go on down the list. Yep. Secondly, that's just a dysfunctional organization. It is. It is. And when you come from a dysfunctional family in the first place and, and your buddies are your family and they care about your money more than they care about you. Uh, I found a dejected, sad, about 30 pounds underweight, which he, underweight? which he was always 
slim. Right. Um, he didn't look like an NFL superstar to me when I found him. Uh, How sad. And, uh, and unfortunately, he just passed away about six, seven months ago. And uh, I'm sorry. To, I did not know that. And I'm yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. It, it was just a, it was four days of, I, I didn't even know how big this story was going to be. And it was gigantic. It was all over the place. I believe it had three million page views in the first day. And it was oh, all over the country. It. And people cared and people loved him. And they wanted him to come back to Michigan. And unfortunately, he just never could face you know his friends and family again so he kind of hid in florida and and just a uh, really sad deal i feel for his kids and his family and and uh just the fans they loved him they never stopped loving him just because he made mistakes well i'm being a number one pick who and i use the word bust that's a little unkind but being a number one pick who doesn't make it we could look at ryan leaf he's had problems jamarcus russell well another guy did a story on any slancing was tony mandrich it's tony mandrich yeah, he was number two overall uh, yeah I, I'm only left to remember that. Yeah. I remember when he... When the incredible they bust. About, yeah. And they called him the incredible shrinking man and all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a tremendous player in college, and, and he, people, well, yeah, he was, he was shooting the juice. We all know yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because they were saying, you know, is this guy, is, is he the best player out this year or yeah. not? And there was some serious dispute about that. We know now the answer was no. Well, and think about that draft. Oh, yeah. Barry Sanders. <laughs> uh, what, Steve Atwater. Um, Troy Aikman went number one to the Cowboys. How do you compete with that? Well, and when Tony got drafted by Green Bay, he said, I'm not going there. That place is a village. That's not even a town. <laughs> he didn't even want to go there. And he went on Letterman, and oh, he yeah. was so arrogant and cocky. That, that's not new. I read a book by Jim Brown where he talked about in his days in the NFL, if a coach was mad at you, they'd say, we're going to send you to Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Buffalo. <laughs> like being sent to the gulag. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is... Um, there's a lot of human element to these stories. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's tough. Um, these aren't, you know, I think it's easy as fans to forget sometimes these aren't cutout figures. These are human beings we're talking about. Um, human beings with feelings. Yep. And and fans and writers can be very cruel sometimes. Absolutely. Unthinkingly. With, yeah, and with a guy like Charles Rogers, I think most people would say bust first and foremost, but then other people say how could you blow $30 million? And a lot of it was because he kept getting pop smoking weed. And people go, why? How in the hell can you? Why? You know, and it's a legit question. But, Ricky Williams. Yeah, but we don't, we're not in their shoes. And, you know, we just don't know. And with Charles, I did obviously extensive research on that story. And he didn't have a, a great foundation. We'll, well put it that way. And I would assume there was some substance abuse issues there. Oh, because yeah. if, if you can't yeah. stop smoking weed for $30 million, yeah. you have a problem. And then two, two collarbones, two broken collarbones in a row, then that's when the painkillers came in. Well, and, uh, that's a slippery slope, as we all know. But the, but the, the, the weed kept popping him hot, which was getting him suspended, which was making the fans turn on him because it was like, dude. It was just like the receiver, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank, that just got cut by the Seahawks. Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon. Yeah. And, and you know, as a fan, it's like, how can you be so dumb? I know. I, know. The, I mean, the dude's got talent. Yeah. But it, substance abuse is a, di it, it, I, I believe it is a disease. Yeah. And, oh, I saw it with Charles for four straight days. And like any other disease, it may not follow a course that's rational and well thought out. <laughs> yeah. Very sad in yeah. a lot of cases. And just imagine throwing, you know, $30 million on top of that disease and, and not having a good family structure. And, and having everybody know about yeah, it. Yeah, everybody And probably it. remind you of it. Oh, yeah. Every day. Getting back to the UW sports, Craig Ball is an interesting case. He came in from North Dakota State. Yep. Of course, was Carson Wentz's college coach. 
Um, he said when he came here that his um, his main goal was to instill toughness in the Cowboy football program. I think we see that reflected on the field, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And you have to be tough to run in his scheme because run is the key word in his scheme. Right. And uh, he's all about running the ball and playing good, tough defense, and he's done that. And, uh, man, the championships haven't been there yet. Um, I honestly feel like that's going to change very soon. I do as well. Yeah, but it, it, he has put so many kids in the NFL. Uh, a kid like Logan Wilson, who is a Wyoming tough to the to From the degree, yeah, yeah, absolutely, a Wyoming kid who came in as a defensive back and is now roaming the middle of the defense for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, he he personifies Wyoming football mm-hmm. toughness, nose to the grindstone, hand in the dirt. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here to play ball, right? And that's what he did. What they like to call a blue collar lunch pail oh, attitude, absolutely, as opposed to the superstar. Yeah, and you don't see that a lot on Craig Bowles team. Those no, guys you really are don't. Dan- dancing and you, you don't you don't see it. You <laughs> well, it doesn't fit Wyoming either. No, no. <laughs> I think Rocket Ishmael's son was probably the most flamboyant, if you want to put it that way. Right. And, and he picked up a couple personal fouls, and uh, Craig Bowles' face turned very red. What happened with him anyway? Um, he's just back in Dallas. Last I talked to him, he's uh, he was hoping to latch on maybe with Canadian Football League, but uh, nothing yet. So great kid. I, I hope the best for him too. And that's the beauty, honestly, Doug, about these guys. And I'm not. Not just saying it to blow smoke because I would tell you if these kids sucked, mm-hmm. they're great human beings. Mm-hmm. They're all just so so good, you know. And and you didn't covering professional sports like I did. Uh, you didn't always see that. No, uh, there's a lot of people in professional sports who are not exactly role models, right? But on the flip side too, when when you're covering the Penguins, you can hammer those guys. They make millions of dollars. Oh yeah. So yeah, if they yeah. slip up, you're in trouble. With absolutely, the media. absolutely. But, but college kids, you just can't and you shouldn't do it. Right. And uh, but these kids are just. Man, they're the, you know, Craig Bowl only recruits a certain kid, and and he means it. It's not lip service or coach speak. These kids are legit human beings. How do you think the new basketball coach is going to do men's coach? Oh, love him. I love him. Uh, you know, all he did was come in and pull the number one recruiting class in the Mountain West. Wyoming's been nothing short of a dumpster fire for the last three years. He pulls the number one recruiting class over Zoom calls. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, when you think about it, yeah. different challenges this year. Yeah, he got his first day when he signed on the dotted line was St. Patrick's Day. And we all know that's about the time the world went to hell in a handbasket. Right, right. All he did was go recruit the players that were on that squad anyway, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. The Hunter Maldonado, Hunter Thompson, you know, um, Kenny Foster, Quan Marble. The guys you wanted from last year's team to come back. Mm-hmm. He went and got those guys back and then just went on a whirlwind tour of pulling off guys, including a guy named Marcus Williams who's playing point guard right now he's the fourth leading true freshman scorer in the nation uh really good and these guys don't lose a year of eligibility so this year is really a learning experience there's been some you know rough moments but they've already won more games than they won last year Uh, and the the trajectory is incredible jeff linder is a very good coach very good man uh it's been a real breath of fresh air and alan edwards was a great human being too don't get me wrong but that was not working it wasn't working uh on the court the product was just not there. Oh, After a, a time, we had some success with the Cowboy basketball program. Yeah. And fans, I wouldn't say they were spoiled, but they certainly had higher expectations. Yeah. And it kind of all went south for a couple of years. Oh, my God, did it ever. It, it just, uh, and the fans showed it. I mean, it was like a morgue in there. And, and I know I kind of pissed Alan Edwards off last year because I said, you know, if you know Laramie where the double A is, there's a, there's a cemetery across the road. And I wrote that there was more action going on in the cemetery <laughs> than there was in this building. And he, he kind of thought that was a low blow, but it, and, and maybe it was was but man it was kind of the reality of the situation it got well and even just here in cheyenne just 
talking with people, talking with fans. I mean, the attitude got real bleak. You probably couldn't even give away tickets, I'd imagine. Uh, it was no, brutal. It, it, was di- it was difficult, yeah. and that's something we do here. And, and there were times where nobody really wanted them. Yeah. Well, there, I'm a huge fan of sports, period. But there was times, even when I was just a Wyoming fan, that I didn't want to go over there either. How about, I, the, how about the women's team? What do you see happening there this year? Oh, they're just always, you know, I don't cover them as hard, of course, but I pay attention to them a little bit. They're just, they're steady Eddie. Yeah. You know, they're always steady Eddie. They play good basketball, good fundamental basketball. They, they had some good years there in the early years yeah. of the century, though. Yeah, Joe Ligurski was a real breath of fresh Rock air. Rock Springs guy. I, yep. I, when I was in Rock Springs, I used to work with his brother, Bob, who was the high school basketball coach. I that was doing sense. radio out there. Yeah. Uh, Bob was a great guy. I used to call him up on the road at 3.30 in the morning. Dude always talked to me. I always appreciated <laughs> it. Well, in smaller towns, you build these relationships with people. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and in Wyoming in general. Oh, yeah. Douglas feels like a second hometown to me. <laughs> I, I love that place. I always will. It always Do you miss it? Or? place i do but cheyenne's home and, and cheyenne's I've, been, nice. I've been fighting for a decade to get home and so it feels so good to be here and and my wife's a probation officer so it's not as easy for her to find a job and it's not easy for you know as you know it's not easy for media people to find jobs all the time too especially ones they want and in desired locations right uh so it, the stars kind of aligned and we both finally ended up in cheyenne and it feels so good to be around family and friends again and and to be home i mean i fought really hard to get back to cheyenne for years so feels great i love my hometown i love this place and if all goes according to plan i'm never going anywhere again I'll just go on vacations. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of touched on this, but I think it's something worth uh, worth hitting again. COVID, COVID nineteen. How's that affected yeah. college sports? How's it different? Uh, how is it not? How's it not? A better yeah. question, honestly. Um, you know, it it was kind of embarrassing. I actually kind of broke down a little bit when they canceled the the season, the football season. Initially, I was doing a podcast, and uh, the, the tears started coming. It was you were uh, the only one I know. Yeah, it was. You know, it was one of the, it was so embarrassing for me. I'm a big, tough, hairy, you know, tattooed guy, and uh, it was sad. It was sad, and it wasn't. And it wasn't just because of 7220 sports it was how can wyoming football not play during well, the and then when they did play the games get canceled yeah. there a couple it was, it was a tough way it was a it was a tough season yeah and tough in a different way than most of our players or coaches have ever experienced yeah and i do want to say I, I think this gets brushed under the rug too much these guys these players these coaches the support staff they got their brains jammed three times a week you know, COVID testing so that they could get out there and play a season. And, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, I feel like I'd be forever in debt to them for, for doing that because it would have been very easy to fold up shop and say, forget it. Let's let's focus on next year. And they did that. They worked their butt off. And as you know, a college kid not going to bars and not going to parties like they sacrificed a lot right. to do this for us. So uh, it meant a lot. But it, it's been bizarre. Um, I'm not I'm not able, unfortunately, to get a lot of those personal stories this year and i think fans understand you know we 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 have zoom calls now and it's it's not quite the same no and and from what i hear from buddies when they're on the road with the team and stuff like that they they sit in their hotel you know i said man you're lucky you get to go to san diego this week to sit in a hotel well look at the nba with their bubble last year yeah yeah it's not fun i mean they're not having fun and it's all about work and that's what i love about jeff linder though he worries about his players mental health Mm -hmm. they've been here since like june and, mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to leave campus, and they have to quarantine, and they can only be around certain people. And they, you know, around Christmas break, he said, "I'm sending my guys home, and I don't care if they come back with COVID. I don't care at this at point. Some point. They you need live to life. go home. Yep. Yeah, they need to see their family. They can't even go up and hug their family after games and stuff. So, it's just a, it's bizarre. And I hope it's, I hope, I hope the light at the end of the tunnel is getting a little brighter. 
Cody, we're just about out of time. Any last thoughts on UW Sports, your website, or life in general, or whatever you'd like yeah, to toss out there? I just hope fans check it out. Uh, we've been around for a while, and we've kind of we've gained a name, but now we're on a bigger platform, obviously, and I really hope people check it out. Uh, I think the future of Wyoming football, especially, is extremely bright in the more near future, but I think basketball is extremely bright as well. Uh, but football, uh, you know, spring ball is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're taking all of April. They're going to have a spring game in May. Do we think we're going to have a normal season this fall have you heard anything it's probably too far out yeah we just don't know but i'm i I mean i'm really hoping by september 4th when the montana state bobcats come to war memorial stadium things are normal and we can have a packed house and and i really hope that's the case because there's nothing quite like a fall saturday in the in laramie memorial stadium so cody real quickly for those just joining us where can people find your website again oh you can hit us up on 7220sports.com well the forecast is brought to you by bob ruart motors doing business without the hassle all roads lead to bob BobRuartMotors.com. Good-looking weather conditions this Saturday. Temperatures comfortable near 80. Nighttime lows going to be in the low to mid-50s. It'll be dry with hazy, smoky skies and light to breezy northwest winds. Heating up Sunday back to near 90. Likewise, Monday looking to remain dry to mostly dry. It's a slight chance of an isolated storm. Lows upper 50s. I'm meteorologist Mark Hewer. AM 650 KGAB. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Ice-T. As a veteran, I know that for many former servicemen and women, the battle doesn't always end when they come home. Every day, 184 veterans are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, and sadly, 20 take their own lives. When nothing else helps, professionally trained service dogs can. American Humane, Serving the U.S. military for over 100 years, rescues animals in need of forever homes, and trains them to become free, life-saving service dogs for our nation's veterans. If you're a veteran or know a veteran struggling with post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury, please go to AmericanHumane.org to learn about their Pups for Patriots program. Let's give our veterans a fighting chance. Adopt US Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo Goat 
G-O-A-T. Acronym stands for greatest of all time. As in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner? They're my fave. Dad, you're the GOAT. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. There's one thing you can never have sex without. It's consent. Because sex without it isn't sex. It's rape. It's on us to stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Halel Newman. Dr. Newman is the uh, Israeli General Counsel for the Southwestern United States, based in Los Angeles. Uh, Dr. Newman, first of all, I understand you're visiting our area today. What, what, what's, what's, what's the purpose of your visit? Uh, hi there. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yes, uh, the purpose of my visit is to uh, meet up with elected officials, the governor, um, business uh, ties, uh, we are uh, with the objective of expanding and enhancing our ties in all spheres between Israel uh, and Wyoming and the entire mountain region. What sort of business ties are there between Israel and Wyoming? Well, not enough. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, well, there's tremendous potential in the relations. Uh, we know the strengths of Wyoming, especially in the field of energy and uh, agriculture and tourism. And the entire mountain region has a lot of potential, and Israel can link up uh, very well with these fields and others. Uh, we would like to bring to the table the field of innovation and perhaps research and development in the field of um, the use of carbon and to try to save jobs of uh, the coal mines and, and things like that. So I think that there's a lot we can do together. We can also learn a lot from Wyoming and the region in the, the fields of mineral extraction and energy and natural resources and parks. So my idea is to expand and enhance our relations as much as possible. Dr. Newman, why, why aren't there existing ties, do you believe? Uh, well, there are ties, but there's just not enough. I think that there's not enough uh, visits, uh, mutual visits and delegations between Israel and Wyoming and the, and the region. And that's why I came, in order to facilitate and open up a new future of ongoing relations and engagements. Uh, I met also with the Business Alliance, and we discussed different options of working together. And our hope is that we will bring more delegations, whether they be physical or virtual, in order to enhance the contacts. Um, our, our consulate sits in Los Angeles. And uh, not very often do we uh, visit Wyoming. So now we're opening a new future, and I intend to visit quite often in order to uh, expand these contacts for the benefit of all people. Now that the COVID-19 pandemic is at least easing somewhat, do you think that will become a little bit easier? Yes, definitely. Uh, I can just tell you that for, from Israel's perspective, uh, the majority of the population have been vaccinated. And therefore, the country has opened up domestically uh, completely. We, we have uh, events with thousands of people. There are no limitations anymore within Israel. And uh, we also believe that we can now enhance uh, contacts uh, with people overseas um, and move forward. Uh, the world is opening up after coronavirus. And coronavirus has actually accelerated many fields of business uh, that are the, are the fields for the future. And uh, Israel is a pioneer and a powerhouse in the fields of innovation, 
many of them as a result of coronavirus. How, how so is the result of coronavirus? Tell us about that. Sure. Um, well, there's been a shift in the economic world order, I would say. Uh, it began before coronavirus with a shift towards innovation and artificial intelligence. And uh, Israel is really a, a global leader in the different fields of innovation, and they touch every single field of application, uh, whether it's agriculture, irrigation, uh, medicine, uh, automobile industry, just uh, smart mobility, smart cities, all these fields. Now, coronavirus accelerated this trend towards artificial intelligence, self-reliance, streaming services, cyber cyber uh, services and security, um, uh, all these fields, automation, robotics, uh, these are the fields of the future which base themselves mainly on artificial intelligence. And uh, Israel is lucky to be in, in that position of a global leader and a powerhouse in the fields of innovation. You know, we never had natural resources to rely on. So we developed the field of innovation. And innovation touches on every single field. Modern technology impacts everything today. Well, you, you mentioned Israel doesn't have a lot of natural resources. We have the natural resources here in Wyoming. Um, if you have the innovation, I could see where that could be a successful partnership. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm referring to. That uh, you, you hit it 100% that we can learn from Wyoming, especially in the fields of natural resources and how to extract many minerals from the earth. And uh, we might need many things that are extracted from the mining here in Wyoming. And we can share with our experience and knowledge in the fields of innovation and how to um, use modern technology in order to improve access and uh, even vocational training of people that fear that they might lose their jobs or something like that. We can, we can perhaps assist in vocational training and um, preparing the people for the future trends. Okay, I'm speaking with Dr. Halel Newman. Dr. Newman is the uh, Israeli Consul General for the Southwest United States, uh, based in Los Angeles. He's visiting uh, Southeast Wyoming. We are pre-recording this interview on Friday. It will air on Saturday. Uh, Dr. Newman, switching gears uh, back in Israel, uh, there's a ceasefire. How's that holding up with Hamas? Yes, uh, of course, we are very glad that there's a ceasefire, but uh, uh, for a long-term solution, we have to um, disarm the Hamas. The Hamas is a terrorist organization that has encamped itself within the Gaza Strip, adjacent to Israel's border on the southern border, and they instigate violence according to their own interests and perceived interests and their rivalry with the Palestinian Authority, and uh, they instigate violence. They, they launch rockets against civilians, uh, we had more than 5 million civilians under the threat of rockets. They had to rush to bomb shelters within 15 seconds. This is an impossible reality. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about uh, relinquishing territory for peace. So Israel did that. Israel gave territory to the Palestinian Authority. The entire Gaza Strip was vacated by Israel. And the result is that we have not received peace. We have received rockets and terrorist attacks. So we have to address this issue, and a long-term solution is has to address the Hamas antagonism and aggression, perhaps disarm them, uh, disable them completely. Now, I'm reading that Iran is largely behind this. Is that correct? Yes, that is 100% correct. Iran, unfortunately, is behind a, a lot of the malign activity in the entire Middle East. Uh, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism. And they support 
proxy military radical groups like the Hamas and the Hezbollah and Palestinian Jihad organizations. And they're dead set against the Western values and Israel represents those Western values uh, like liberty and freedom and LGBT rights and things like that. So they attack Israel and they use their proxy groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and they instill unrest in the entire Middle East. You know, Israel has normalized relations with a few Arab countries recently, like UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Iran uh, is opposing any kind of peace, coexistence, or normalization. So they use their proxies to try and instill unrest and violence. So can you solve the problem without dealing with Iran? Uh, Perhaps you're right. We do have to deal with Iran. Um, but we also have to deal with the immediate problem, which is the proxy groups themselves, which are Hamas and Hezbollah. So if we manage, for instance, to cut off the um, supplies or the arms and the military and financial supplies from Iran to Hamas, uh, then we might not solve uh, the Iranian problem, but we can solve the Hamas aggression and uh, violence against civilians. So there are different ways of dealing with the problem. I think that Iran is a long-term, very long-term issue, and uh, we won't see a real change there unless they're under extreme pressure and the regime changes its policy. Uh, But we can deal with the Hamas and the Hezbollah in in different means. And what might those means be, militarily or or diplomatically? Well, we'd like to solve it diplomatically. Um, Unfortunately, they force us very often to, to reach a military confrontation. When they launch rockets against our civilians, then we have to act in self-defense um, because they, they launch from civilian populated areas against civilian populated areas, which is a double war crime. So we have to act in self-defense. But our hope is that the Hamas may one day choose the path of peace. And maybe they will uh, choose living in coexistence. They haven't cho- chosen that path yet. Um, and we one way of working with, the, with um, blocking this is by trying to prevent the uh, supply chains, uh, the shipments that come from Iran through Damascus sometimes to, to the Hamas. Um, they're so we have to act in different ways in order to prevent a strengthening of uh, the Hamas. Now, on the positive side, from what I've read, your Iron Dome missile defenses have worked pretty well. Is that correct? Yes, it is wonderful. It had a 90% success rate in interception of rockets. I mean, the the Hamas launched more than 4,000 rockets against uh, the state of Israel, um, and the majority, uh, 90%, were intercepted mid-air. And this is a wonderful model of cooperation between Israel and the United States because the Iron Dome was developed uh, in collaboration between the United States and Israel. And now the uh, Iron Dome uh, interceptors are even deployed in the United States to save American lives. Dr. Newman, are, are you at all concerned about um, possibly some growing political support in, Ameri- in the American Congress for Hamas? Well, I hope not. I hope that everyone sane in their mind would not support Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. You know, Hamas is, de- is a declared terrorist organization not only by Israel and the United States, but even by Arab countries and the uh, European countries and Australia and other places. So. There's wide consensus on the fact that Hamas is a terrorist organization, and they, I can only pity those who, who feel some kind of solidarity with the Hamas. They're totally um, misled, uh, if not worse than that. 
Um, I don't see uh, much support for Hamas in the Congress. Um, I think there's a large, wide consensus of support of the relationship between Israel and the United States in the Congress, uh, both in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And we've seen also the wonderful support of President Biden. Um, and so um, we, we are very confident in the relationship. You know, the relationship is beyond any specific individual or party. It's a bipartisan relationship based on fundamental values. Dr. Newman, in terms of the ceasefire, obviously a ceasefire is not probably going to be a permanent solution. Where, where do we go from here in terms of, of uh, achieving fee, uh, peace in this situation? Well, um, our policy has been to, to show the path of economic viability so that the Palestinian people would choose the way of peace and coexistence. And we've done that um, in a big way with the Palestinian Authority, if one visits, for instance, Ramallah in the West Bank, uh, which is the center of the Palestinian Authority, then you'll see a thriving city, uh, which was enabled by Israel. Uh, Israel assists the Palestinian Authority in its cooperation in many ways. Unfortunately, there are radicals within the Palestinian Authority, and especially the Hamas in the Gaza Strip, and Islamic Jihad organizations, and they have chosen from the beginning uh, the path of conflict. You know, they have not recognized Israel, and they, there's not a dispute about water or territories. They refuse to um, come to terms with the existence of the state of Israel in any border. So uh, the long-term path is that the Palestinian people must choose, must choose the way of peace and coexistence instead of the path of confrontation like Hamas. Uh, we must show them the two options. One option is economic viability and coexistence and livelihood, success and prosperity. And the other one is death and devastation, which is offered by the Hamas. Dr. Newman, looking again at the long-term situation in regard to Iran, how concerned are you about Iran developing a nuclear weapon that might be used against Israel? We are extremely concerned. We see that as the number one existential threat, not only to Israel, but to, to the, West, uh, the West in general. Uh, we must do everything, and we will do everything, in order to make sure that Iran does not have military nuclear capability. And that is also the uh, stated policy of the United States. Um, now we may have difference of opinion about what is the best uh, path to do that and to prevent Iran, but the objective is clear. We must prevent Iran from a nuclear capability, um, and Israel will do everything that is necessary in order to make sure that that uh, that Iran does not have military nuclear capability. Now, my understanding is that uh, Mr. Ahmadinejad, uh, who's a hardliner, has announced he's running for president of Iran again. Is that a big concern? Well, you know, it doesn't really make a big difference. Uh, the presidents and the supreme leader are um, are very close, uh, intimate in their policy. There's no real distinction, for instance, between the supreme leader and the president. That's a um, the deception on the behalf of uh, Iran, where they try to uh, try to give this impression as if there's a moderate uh, president and a, uh, a conservative supreme leader. They're aligned in their policy and in their ambitions. Their ambitions are to instill unrest in the entire Middle East. They've already expanded their influence all the way from Tehran to Damascus to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, so Iran is a threat. Iran is a threat to the entire Western world in their terrorism um, and their nuclear capability. Dr. Newman, I've asked you questions for the past 15 minutes. What would you like to tell our listeners? 
<laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'd like to tell your listeners that uh, Israel is a strong friend and ally of the United States in general, and especially of uh, Wyoming and the mountain region, and that we believe that there's tremendous potential in our relationship. Uh, we can enhance our trade and business ties, um, and um, we should. Uh, pe- pe- people can follow our updates and our sites of the Consulate General of Israel in Los Angeles, and anyone who would like to enhance uh, their business ties or cultural ties with Israel is invited to, to make contact with us at the consulate in LA and we visit quite often and we'll be glad to uh, promote such meetings and ties between local people and the state of Israel. Dr. Newman, I appreciate your time this morning and welcome to Wyoming. Thank you very much and good luck and good health to all your listeners and to you. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye. I'm a veteran. My victory was admitting I had PTSD and getting help. As America's veterans face challenges, DAV is there. I no longer see it as a weakness, but as a sign of strength. I call it post-traumatic growth. DAV provides a lifetime of support, helping veterans of every generation get the benefits they've earned. I am a veteran. I lost both legs in Vietnam. Every year, DAV helps more than a million veterans so they can reach victories great and small. My victory was getting my benefits and a good education. I'm a veteran. When I got out, I felt like Nora was safe. My victory was finding the help I needed. But there's more to be done and more victories to be won. Thanks to DAV, now I feel like I'm human again. Help support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. I'm talking with Martin Goebbels of Cowboy Challenge Academy. For those who don't know, explain what the academy is. Academy teaches respect, discipline, accountability, and it's a completely free program for 16 to 18-year-old young men and women throughout the state of Wyoming. The program really caters to that, what we call non-traditional students. There's a lot of young people out there who public school doesn't always work for a number of reasons. We are a fully accredited school by the state superintendent's office, which is allows us to offer two forms of graduation. You can go with what we call the high sec which is a GED-type program that's a little more intensive than the standard GED to hopefully graduate from your existing school, and we can even do that without a state kids as well. You have to be 16 to 18 years old at entrance. You cannot have graduated from high school, but you can certainly be struggling, expelled, or just even if you've dropped out. You need to be a United States citizen. We have a number of other rules, but those are the main ones that we really stick with. You need to be able to volunteer for this program as well. We want you to be fully engaged with the program, want to succeed in this program as well. To see young people see the quasi-military style of the Wyoming Cowboy Challenge in progress, we want to stick with the respect, discipline, the accountability, and the fact that it's free, but yet at the same time, when the young people and their parents get to see this, really gets the young person motivated to say, hey, this is way different than a public school. It is five and a half months of a residential phase, and then something we're very proud of here is our year-long mentorship phase. Once you're done and have graduated, it's go get them. And with here, we have a year-long mentorship program. We work with them to make the better choices, but we also follow up with them for a complete year after graduation. The, the website is the wyomingcowboychallenge.org. There is an application under the documents. Please contact us, any of our recruiters here. And as our motto states, somebody looking for the courage to change. 
KGAB Orchard Valley Cheyenne. K258DN Orchard Valley. Breaking news, weather, sports, and talk. A Town Square media station. Olivia from Washington. <clears throat> Laid off and trying to keep our little kids from realizing that mommy and daddy haven't eaten in a while. Roger from California. I'm grateful we could afford our son's surgery. I'm nervous that now we can't really afford food. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Donna from Louisiana. The storm just hit and we went from donating to the food bank to needing it. Keisha from South Carolina. I've been skipping meals so my two kids can the infrastructure bill is a Hunger step is a story to we can end. The end it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. The I expect it to be a lot easier. I didn't know what step to take next. I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I missed my unit. My family. Playing with my daughter, I felt like a stranger. I didn't have a clear sense of what to do next. And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, right? So I reached out, and I saw that I wasn't alone. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. Hi everybody, I'm Jack Hanna. Since I was a boy, I've been fascinated with animals, especially their tireless work ethic. This work ethic is shared by our best friends, canines who perform life-saving work every day. So please join me and American Humane in supporting our heroic working dogs. Go to AmericanHumane.org to learn more. Albany County Sheriff Craig Apple. This is obviously a very high-profile investigation. There's a lot of information out there. Um, we have a lot of fact-finding to do. We have a lot of interviews to do. And um, you know what? I'm not going to rush it because of who he is, and I'm not going to delay it because of who he is. Um, we're going to conduct a very comprehensive investigation. The governor denies groping the woman. The Dixie Fire in Northern California is threatening more than 10,000 buildings after destroying nearly 200 already. Fire officials say it's the largest current wildland blaze in the nation and the third largest in recorded California history. Texas Democrats still refusing to return to the state capitol. Most didn't show up when Republican Governor Greg Abbott opened a special session today, the GOP's third attempt to pass new election laws in Texas. America is listening to Fox News. Favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. From Trey Gowdy, the Fox News Rundown, Will Kane, Brian Kilmeade, and so much more. Go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The Fox News Rundown. Start your day with a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. A daily morning podcast going far beyond the headlines. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. News. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, Dana Perino, co-host of the 5 and America's Newsroom on Fox News Channel, returns to the world of audio with a new limited-time podcast, Everything Will Be Okay with Dana Perino. Building off the success of her best-selling book of the same name, Dana provides an unequaled brand of advice built on real-life experience and interviews experts and individuals that make a difference in the lives of others. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 
A cop killer in Texas has learned his fate for the crime. Fox's Carmen Roberts reports. A jury in Texas sentenced a man to death Friday night for the ambush murder of a San Antonio police officer in 2016. The jury deliberated for eight hours before deciding 31-year-old Otis McCain should die. He was convicted last month for the random murder of Detective Benjamin Marconi. The detective's family released a statement thanking everyone who stood by them for the past four and a half years, saying they are eternally grateful for the outpouring of kindness and support. Carmen Roberts. Fox News. Murder carried out casually on a Brooklyn sidewalk this week was caught on video. Fox affiliate WNYW's Jessica Formosa reports. The shooting took place right outside this building. I spoke to the victim's mother. She is distraught and doesn't know why her daughter was killed. On Wednesday at a little bit after 9.30 p.m., 42-year-old Delia Johnson was shot in the head. And you see just that in the video. You can see a woman pulling up in a white car walks up behind Johnson and shoots her in the back of the head like nothing. She then returns to her car and drives away. Police are looking for a woman in her 20s and reportedly know who she is. A firefighter sues the management of the Surfside Florida condo building that collapsed in June. Fox's Chris DeMeo reports. Enrique Arango recovered the remains of his seven-year-old daughter in the rubble. His suit names multiple companies involved in the ownership, maintenance, and oversight of the building. Arango claiming officials knew about deplorable conditions at the building, including seawater in the garage, for years before the tragedy. The suit seeking unspecified damages. 98 people were killed in the collapse. Chris DeMeo, Fox News. And I'm Joe Chiro, Fox News.